hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, continuing part three of our series on how you build a business. Today, I'm talking to Ryan Kinney about the legal side of things. She's been on Office Hours FM to discuss contracts, so I wanted to get her talking about something different, and that's intellectual property, specifically copyright and trademark. It was a very educational episode for me, and I hope it is for you, too. We'll jump into that in just a minute, but first, a word from our sponsors. This season of How I Built It is brought to you by two fantastic sponsors. The first is Liquid Web. If you're running a membership site, an online course, or even a real estate site on WordPress, you've likely already discovered many hosts that have optimized their platforms for a logged out experience, where they cache everything. Sites on their hardware are great for your sales and landing pages, but struggle when your users start logging in. At that point, your site is as slow as if you were on $3 hosting. LiquidWeb built their managed WordPress platform optimized for sites that want speed and performance, regardless of whether a customer is logged in or logged out. Trust me on this, I've tried it out and it's fast, seriously fast. Now, with their single site plan, LiquidWeb is a no-brainer for anyone whose site is actually part of their business and not just a site promoting their business. Check out the rest of the features on their platform by visiting them at buildpodcast.net slash liquidweb. That's buildpodcast.net slash liquidweb. It's also brought to you by Jilt. Jilt is the easiest way to recover abandoned shopping carts on WooCommerce, Easy Digital Downloads, and Shopify. Your e-commerce clients could be leaving literally thousands of dollars on the table, and here's why. 70% of all shopping carts are abandoned prior to checkout. Yes, you heard that right. 70% of shoppers never make it to checkout. And that's why you need to introduce your clients to Jilt. Jilt uses proven recovery tactics to rescue that lost revenue. It's an easy win that lets you boost your client's revenue by as much as 15%, and it only takes 15 minutes of your time to set up. Jilt fully integrates with WooCommerce, EDD, and Shopify, and you can completely customize the recovery emails that Jilt sends to match your client's branding using its powerful drag-and-drop editor, or by digging into the HTML and CSS. Even better, Jilt's fair pricing means your clients pay only for the customers they actually engage, and you get to earn a cut of that through Jilt's partner program. Whether you have clients that process one sale per month or 10,000 sales per month, be the hero and help them supercharge their revenue with Jilt. Check them out at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. That's buildpodcast.net slash J-I-L-T. And now, on with the show. So 
So I just want to say, um, while I am an attorney, I'm not necessarily your listener's attorney. So I have to provide my disclaimer where I say the information provided is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be a substitute for actually speaking with an attorney um, about the facts particular to your case or question. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Ryan Kinney. Ryan, how are you? Fantastic. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. We met at WordCamp US. Officially, I had seen your name around, uh, so I'm really glad that we got to hang out with the same group of people because we got to talking, uh, and you mentioned that you are a lawyer that is kind of embedded in, in our space a little bit, and I serendipitously wanted to have a lawyer on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I am an intellectual property attorney that works with businesses to launch both launch their business and accelerate their growth. So I uh, handle everything from contracts, privacy policy, terms of use, helping them uh, with their e-commerce to vendor, consumer disputes, and intellectual property, trademarking their names, copywriting uh, their content, pretty much anything they need to to run and, and succeed in business. Awesome. And that's fantastic, right? Because I know a lot of developers, a lot of freelancers listen to this show. And uh, I feel like the topic of like having a good contract or how to do a good proposal has kind of been uh, done a lot in our space, right? I believe you talked to actually Carrie Dills on Office Hours about stuff like that. So I don't want to rehash that content. But intellectual property stuff like copyrights and trademarks are something very interesting to me, and to I suspect anybody starting a business, right? Because it's easy to buy the domain name, but there's no like uh, legal protection bet- behind just like owning a domain name, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's definitely something that I come across. Even the most uh, experienced and established businesses really don't know the difference between copyright or trademark and the necessity of, of protecting that. So it's something that I go over on, on almost a daily basis. So I'm happy to cover with you. Awesome. So why don't why don't we uh, jump right into that, right? So the show is called How I Built It, first of all. And so I think the thing that we're talking about here is uh, building a good legal strategy for your business, right? So uh, we're going to assume that as a business owner, you you have a contract in place that you perhaps need. But as far as you know, the the startups behind having a good copyright, having a good trademark, that's the thing that we're going to talk about building today. So why don't we start with I think probably copyright is a little easier and and maybe lower cost to understand. So why don't we start with what is what exactly is copyright? How do I know when I have it? Uh, do I need to explicitly state that I have it somewhere on my website or or in some kind of document? Certainly. So copyright is the protection afforded to an expression of an original idea. This is something that is automatically attaches as soon as you fix it in a tangible medium. And I understand that I'm speaking in legalese right now, so so we'll break that down a little bit. But what I want what I want you to know is you have copyright protection as soon as you create something. So as soon as you record this podcast, as soon as you draw your picture, you have copyright protection. But taking the affirmative step, for instance, of putting copyright all rights reserved at the bottom of your website is an additional step to put the public on actual notice that you're claiming copyright in this. Do you have to put that notice at the bottom to to have that protection? No, but it adds to the level of uh, notice that you're providing. The 
necessity and or benefit of registering your copyright with the Library of Congress and formally registering your copyright is the legal uh, ramifications and being able to actually pr protect your copyright. In order to initiate a lawsuit to protect your, your uh, material against infringement, you have to have a registered copyright anyway. So something that people don't know is there are additional uh, benefits, legal benefits for registering your copyright within three months of publication. And they're quite substantial. It's the entitlement to statutory damages and attorney's fees, which a lot of times, um, if you're looking for an attorney that might take the case on contingency, if you don't have the ability to retrieve attorney's fees, you're going to be at a, a huge disadvantage in pursuing and defending your rights. The statutory damages, the benefits of, again, copywriting within three months of publication, if you don't, and you don't have those statutory damages, you're merely entitled to actual damages. And if you're a small business, if somebody, for instance, would, God forbid, <laughs> would, would take your podcast and distribute it or, or misappropriate it in some way, and you're only entitled to actual damages, you have to prove the accounting, you know, how much they actually made from infringing upon your rights versus statutory damages, which can be punitive or you know, can be a, a larger dollar amount. So copyright can be anything from musical notes, music, architecture, choreography in some instances, but definitely all of the content on your website. And particularly for your listeners uh, and developers, there is copyright available for software and, and coding. Again, I know we work in the open source community, but there are certain functionalities that you may as a agency own that and license that mm -hmm. to your clients. And then there's copyright for the content. So it's all uh, things to consider both in your contracts that we're not discussing here today, but also in, in wanting to actually formally uh, register that copyright with the Library of Congress to make sure that you're able to protect and defend those rights. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. So as far as uh, having a registered copyright, you know, like let's say I blog every day. I don't. I wish I did. I have the uh, copyright notice on my website. Would I need to register each blog post individually with the Library of Congress? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's completely laborious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it, you can copyright the content on your website as a whole. And if you're doing a series, you can also do it as a series or compilation. So, I mean, it really is a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, I need to look at what you're considering sure. copywriting to be able to advise you uh, on what's best, but that's a, a good general answer. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Very cool. And so uh, my other follow-up about that is you see every year, right around the time we're recording, we're recording towards the end of the year, people are tweeting, don't forget to update the copyright year on your website. Now, I've read that it's actually better to have the year you started your blog as the copyright year or a range, right? So if I say copyright 2018, that, let's see, that claimed date, the affirmative step of, of saying, like, this is when I started my content is now 2018. Is that accurate? Like, what's the best way for me to, to say copyright all rights reserved and then have a year attached to it? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So there's not a one specific way of denoting your copyright. As an attorney, I would think the range would be the best way to go because you're establishing when you first claimed ownership in that copyright. 
through the, you know, the fact that you're currently providing new content material. What the faux pas is, is, you know, having something from 2015, not a range, but something for three years ago, it looks like a, an overlooked attention to detail. And especially if you're a developer or you work in the online e-commerce community, you know, having something from 2015, um, mm -hmm. that's not a, a look you want to present to to people you're working with. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. So that's nice. I'm going to make sure to update the copyright to have a range now. Awesome. And then my, oh, maybe I didn't have any more questions about that. I think we've answered all of the questions I have about copyright, which is cool. So is there anything else that we should know maybe about copyright? Certainly. I mean, I have a blog post on my website, uh, kinnyfirm.com, uh, regarding proper copyright notice. Something to, just for your listeners to know, note, putting all rights reserved um, is something for international copyright. It just, again, puts people on notice that you're reserving all of your, your rights uh, and, and are looking to pursue them. So it's just that added little touch that uh, lends credibility to your claims and your ownership. Gotcha. Makes sense. So based on what we've talked about here, the ideal, generally speaking, maybe not specific to everybody, but what I will probably put on the bottom of my blog based on our conversation is copyright, Joe Casabona, 2003 to 2017, 2018, when the calendar turns, all rights reserved. Correct. Yes. Cool. Oh, and actually one, one more question about this. When you register your copyright with the Library of Congress, is that a costly act or is that like filling out a form? No, it's, I mean, the filing fees are typically $35 or $55. This is something that, you know, there's a lot of content out there. So whether you're, you know, recording or copywriting a CD or your website or things like that, it's, you know, this is like cost of doing business, you know, a, a low uh, filing fee. And, you know, if you're hiring an attorney to do it, to make sure you do it um, correctly the first time, a lot of times you're able to find that on a flat fee basis as well. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So that's a pretty, pretty low cost there. Now, perhaps something that is in my mind, a lot more expensive, which is why I haven't necessarily pursued it yet, is a trademark. For example, I, there is a, I'm not going to call it a competing podcast because we don't compete. This podcast blows me out of the water. Uh, it's an NPR podcast called How I Built This. As far as I know, they have the trademark on the name How I Built This. My podcast came out a few months before theirs. It was just kind of unfortunate timing. So here is a maybe a teaser for a few minutes from now. But why don't we why don't we start with trademarks? Like, what are they? How do I obtain them? Is it super expensive? Sure. So a trademark, as differentiated from the the copyright, the copyright your content, your original ideas. The trademark is an indicator of source. This is telling people where your product, your goods or services come from. So if you're thinking about Nike, the name Nike, or the Nike swoosh, or even the words just do it, those are different iterations of trademarks that indicate that this product is coming from Nike. So Nike is the word mark, the swoosh is the design mark, and I'm loving it is a slogan. All of those things are able to be trademarked. So something that I, I've been asked uh, by different people in even upper level management is what's the difference between a trademark and a service mark? Legally, there's no difference. The distinguishing factor is whether you're, you're offering a good or a service. 
So if you're selling shirts, it's a trademark. If you're, you know, offering chiropractic services or something like that, you can use service mark. So the distinctions visually are TM or SM, but they really have the same legal ramifications. Something that also gets asked on a regular basis is what's the difference between TM and R and when can I use them? The trademark you're able to, or TM, you're able to use when you're claiming like copyright, when you're claiming ownership in that intellectual property, the R you're only allowed to use when actually registered federally. So once your registration issues with the USPTO, then you're able to denote that it's, it's registered. So that's a good distinction to make as well. This episode is brought to you by Vast Conference. Vast offers instant conference calls that have crystal clear audio quality and tons of great features. Never get dropped from a conference call again. Join conference calls from anywhere in the world and they have the best customer service. You can use their conference call service from anywhere with an internet connection or phone line. Visit buildpodcast.net slash vast to start holding conference calls that you can actually hear. And now, back to the show. Gotcha. So if I say I do go through the application process for how I built it, and again, the uh, I'm, I'm teasing towards something more, but let's say I don't have any legal trouble getting this trademark. When I, when I put the paperwork in, can I start using the trademark? And then when the, the paperwork's approved, I can use the R? Or do, are there two separate confirmations where the first confirmation is I can start using TM and then the next confirmation I get to use R? You can start using TM now. So without going into the legality of everything, there's common law rights in trademark as well. So even prior to filing federal registration uh, application, you can use TM if you're claiming ownership in that intellectual property. Interesting. So I could update my logo today to include TM. You could, but again, I would want to visit who owns intellectual property that might be confusingly similar to what you're looking to claim status in. Gotcha. And and how would I do something like that? Is there like a website that I could look up or would you recommend that we hire someone like you to, to do the legwork for us? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to recommend that you talk to an attorney because this sure. is a, kind of a convoluted area. So, I mean, I can talk to you about like the, the different stages or, or different tests that they use to determine whether a trademark is copyrightable, whether there's dilution, whether there's infringement, you know, things like that. But it's, it gets convoluted and it gets a case by case basis. So you're able to look up who has a trademark, a registered trademark by going to uspto.gov and doing a trademark search. You'll find when you're in their search system, it's somewhat uh, complicated as well. It's, you know, to find how to search for certain design marks and things like, things like that. But that'll tell you who's claiming rights currently, whether um, it's going to be confusingly similar, whether you have a likelihood of actually getting registered or things like that, that is something you'd probably want to consult an attorney for. You were asking what the price of trademarking is. It is more substantial than a copyright. It's there's $275 is the filing fee. It's non-refundable. So if you make a mistake on your application, it's something to consider. Yes, you're able to amend certain things, but certain issues you're not. And yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so there's the filing fee and then there's the, the, the strongly recommended fee for hiring an attorney. 
Yeah. And again, if you're hiring an attorney to assist you with filing a trademark, make sure that you know what services you're being provided for that fee. A lot of times there's there's a difference between uh, hourly or flat fee, being a smaller business, making sure that you're getting a flat fee and what's included in that. So I've come across different clients of mine that have worked with other attorneys that will charge a flat fee for the initial preparation, but uh, switch over to an hourly rate for any kind of uh, communication. And something to note is there's absolutely going to be some communication with the USPTO. When the examining attorney is appointed, they'll review your application and then get back to you. And I've never come across an application that hasn't required some at least slight revision. Um, So to charge an hourly rate for that above and beyond when I know it's expected that there's going to be that communication is something I feel personally is unfair. And I I include standard communication in what I do. But again, I want your listeners, regardless of who they go with, just to make sure to ask the questions. Um, if you're doing this for a flat fee, what's included is the correspondence uh, with with the USPTO included and things like that. So they really know what they're getting. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I don't want to get dinged for every email that you send. Right. Because you are probably going to have to send emails to somebody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're going gotcha. to receive emails from them. <laughs> they're going to confirm. Right. They're going to confirm we received your application. We'll be getting back to you in three to six months. I mean, there's at least five or six communications that are a part of every standard trademark. Gotcha. And and so so you just mentioned another question I had, which is how long does the process take? Yes, this is a long process. So the great news is your ownership and or rights attach as of the date of filing, not of okay. as of the date of issue. So if you know that you're going to be claiming a trademark status, getting it filed sooner rather than later is a very wise thing to do. But the examining attorney is typically assigned three to six months after filing. So after I, as an attorney, file it, the USPTA will give me an immediate, you know, we've received your application. A trademark attorney will be assigned within three to six months. And then three to six months later, they'll let me know who's been assigned. I have a very specific person that I'm dealing with with the USPTO. They review the application and let me know if they want to see any language changed, if uh, there are any conflicts, you know, what needs to be amended, and we go from there. After we go back and forth and we have the application to where the examining attorney wants to see it, it's published for opposition, where anybody that might have uh, or take issue with the registration has 30 days to oppose the mark uh, or file for an extension to oppose. If no one opposes it, then it's published for opposition, and typically you receive your registration within 45 to 60 days after the publication. You actually receive registration. So the process can be anywhere between you know, 6 to 12 months with something that is standard and, and not, not opposed. Gotcha. Which brings me to this, this big question. Right? So this is a, very, this is a, a, a question I have personally. But I, I, I have How I Built It. That's the name of this podcast. I never filed for a trademark. This was just kind of a side project that I thought wouldn't go anywhere. I've been proved wrong here in 2017. So if I wanted to file today, I could still file, but I suspect because of the similarity of the NPR podcast and the fact that it is also a podcast, 
makes the odds of me being granted that trademark pretty low. You know, just generally speaking, I won't accept your word as like, like uh, legally binding or whatever. But based on your expert opinion, is that what you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're. I think that they have a case. First of all, if they want to oppose your your mark, if they you know affirmatively state that they have an issue, that they're that uh, they have a good case for that, because there potentially is a likelihood of consumer confusion. Because mm-hmm. and they have different tests that they use to determine. But so th- an interesting thing is even auditorily sounding the same. Right. So, so changing the way something's spelled. You know, if I were to do Nike with two E's or Nike IE, that's not going to register because it sounds the same. So I can't tell you affirmatively one way or the other, but I I think that there is a likelihood of consumer confusion here and it might be a challenge. Yeah. Particularly because you're both podcasts. Um, And that's that's something to note as well. Just because somebody owns a name in one space doesn't mean that you can't own it in another. Something such as Michelin Tires Versus the Michelin star rating system for for chefs, right. you know, you can you can have a McDonald's food and you can have a McDonald's carpet cleaner, <laughs> you know. So it's just really uh, that that kind of brings me to international classes and that's something that I I didn't state. So that the federal filing fee is per international class, and um, what that means is where your goods and services fall. So if you were to have an online website. You know, that might be international class 41 versus T-shirts, which is, you know, international class 25. It's the same mark. It's the same name. It's the same slogan that you want to trademark, but you have them on different goods and services. So that would be an individual filing fee for each class, the shirts and the, the website. So when I'm working with clients and I know that they're, you know, building their business and may not have, you know, the filing fees for five different international classes, even though they have, you know, the intellectual property to support that, we want to go for the broadest, the legal strategy is going for the broadest protection possible. So if you're the basis of your business is a website, you know, going for that website protection and branching out into the ancillary products like shirts as you grow your business. I was I was going to ask you about that too. So I'm glad you like kind of segued into that. You know, I have the podcast, let's say I miraculously get the trademark i get it for the podcast name if i want to put the how i built it logo on a t-shirt that's a whole other as you just said a whole other trademark class yes it is a different uh, class that you need to file in now that's not to say that i can't put my logo on a t-shirt it's just that i'm not as protected without the the trademark class. Right. right you're not you're not as protected and obviously you want to keep other people from you know acquiring rights and and going in that direction in t-shirts or you know any other product or service yeah gotcha so now if i do get the trademark for the podcast and then somebody puts in the the trademark class for a t-shirt with a, a logo that's similar to mine can i still oppose that and say like hey that's my logo Absolutely. That's a part of the, the registration process. So you have every right to oppose the mark and state your grounds for opposite, uh, opposition. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. Now, since we're on t-shirts, right? I know a lot of people like to make like parody t-shirts. You know, I see like the Disney parody t-shirts, for example. Uh, Disney's big and on their own, protecting their intellectual property, rightfully so. So like, what you know, if, if I wanted to make an R2-D2 t-shirt, like, how quickly do you think Disney would, like, track me down? Would they send me a cease and desist first? Things like that. <laughs> 
Well, uh, not having personally worked with uh, Disney attorneys, I don't know what their turnaround time is. But I know with all of the companies that you want to mess with their intellectual property, they're probably the the uh, most vigorous in pursuing, and rightfully so. Parity is actually a defense to trademark infringement. So if you can establish that it's in humor and parody and there's no commercial intent behind it, you're not making money off of their intellectual property. You're not selling these t-shirts. The likelihood that they're going to pursue you for making your own parody t-shirt is very low. If you're, gotcha. if you're using their intellectual property to sell your t-shirts, that's a licensing issue. You absolutely have to you know, have permission from them to use their characters. Gotcha. gotcha. That makes sense. So, so that's interesting. Like parody is a, it's a defense, right, right, right. Not a, not a protection. I'm glad you specified that. Cool. Very cool. So that's, uh, that is interesting. I could talk about this forever. Awesome. So uh, we've talked about copyright and we've talked about trademarks and registered trademarks and we're, we're, wow, we're coming up on time. So I will ask you the question that I do like to ask every guest, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us beyond what everything you've just told us here? I mean, trade secrets are find, find an attorney that works with businesses that can answer your questions, um, that works with your budget. I feel like, uh, especially in working in the WordCamp spaces and, and in open source, a lot of people still have the misconception that in order to get an answer to a question or speak to an attorney, you're still looking at the old school $15,000 retainers and things like that. And the internet's changed the game for everyone. So there are a lot, there's a lot more availability and flat fee pricing available to businesses. So don't hesitate to ask a question. Find, find a person that's willing to work with you and your budget and, and always ask before you make these decisions. I've run, everything you can think of, I've run across with an intellectual property from people that have spent five years and $100,000 investing in a, a trade name that got trademarked a year before they talked to me. They, you know, they, they put it off. They think it's expensive you spent $100,000 investing in your business, but you didn't spend $275 to protect the name that you've invested the money in. So that would be my tip is make sure you're asking questions from a professional that can help you. That's what we're here for and find somebody that's going to work within your budget. Gotcha. Very cool. And everything that you've talked about is on the federal level, right? So I don't need to hire a lawyer in my state per se. Yeah. Trademark and copyright are both federal. So that's something that, you know, you, it doesn't have to be a a state specific attorney for, correct? Cool. Very cool. Thanks so much. Where can people find you? I'm on Kinney Firm, K-I-N-N-E-Y-F-I-R-M.com. And I'm also on Twitter at The Kinney Firm, if you have questions or would like to get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been highly educational for me, and I hope it's been for everybody listening. Oh, fantastic. Thanks again to Ryan for joining me today. Uh, What a great talk. Very educational. And after our conversation, I was inspired myself to start the trademark process on a couple of things that I was kind of sitting on because the process was intimidating to me. So uh, super helpful for not just people who are starting a business, but maybe people who have been out there for a while uh, and just haven't gone through the right channels to get that paperwork done. So uh, I'm going to list all of her uh, links in the show notes and stuff like that, and you should definitely check her out. And thanks again to our sponsors. Make sure to check out Liquid Web for managed WordPress hosting. I use them on all of my important sites. They are that good. 
and they're over at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. They'll give you 50% off your first two months just for being a listener. If you want to save your client or yourself money through recovering abandoned carts, check out Jilt. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. And finally, if you want to solve that pesky problem of conference calls online, check out Vast. They are over at buildpodcast.net slash Vast. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it slash seven zero. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It helps people discover us. And finally, check out the Patreon if you want to support this show independently. If you want to be a single person donor, you can get access to all sorts of exclusive content, news updates, and more. You can do that for as little as $1 a month over at patreon.com slash how I built it. Continuing our series next week. I am talking to Nicole Kohler about having a content strategy for your business. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, and it's not something that people think about, uh, myself included, when they're starting a business. But it's so important. You just, you, well, I mean, we'll talk about it next week, but definitely check it out. And until next time, get out there and build something.